You know what cheers me up? What? Rolled up aces over kings. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. The House of Cards. Today, the game is different. With author and professional poker player Ashley Adams. Okay, you have some skill. Hi, everybody. This is House of Cards. I'm Ashley Adams, your host for the hour, and we have a wonderful 25-minute interview with a writer who's written an incredible book. Uh, I just finished reading it, and I loved it. It's The Moneymaker Effect, the inside story of the tournament that forever changed poker. Uh, The author is Eric Raskin, and uh, it's a compilation of... Uh, interviews that he did with lots and lots of professionals in the poker world of all sorts uh, about the effect that Chris Moneymaker's victory in the 2003 main event of the World Series of Poker had on poker. Uh, And we're going to talk to him at length, fortunately. So stay tuned. We'll be back right away. Attention poker players! Do you like using your tablet or phone at the poker table but hate running out of battery at the end of a long tournament day or cash game? Then you need the Grinder Gadget. The Grinder Gadget is a portable, compact charging station and stand designed by poker players for poker players. It gently grips the rail and allows you to prop up and charge your phone and tablet without touching the felt. The Grinder Gadget not only works really well on a poker rail, but just about anywhere an airplane tray, a desk, anywhere. No more setting up your tablet on some wobbly table or leaving it on the floor. Its battery is powerful enough to charge most tablets and phones and still have plenty of juice left over for your headphones or any other device you have. You can even purchase a backup battery for those extra-long sessions or trips. So if you like to grind while you grind, the Grinder Gadget is exactly what you've been waiting for. Check out www.grindergadget.com for more information. Get grinding and stay grinding with the Grinder Gadget. Have you ever wanted something so bad that you do just about anything for it? Well, that's exactly how we feel about you. That's right. AdamandEve.com wants you so bad. We're giving you 10 free gifts with your first order. You heard me right. That's 10 free gifts to spice up your love life. First, you'll get a sexy surprise for her. Second, an adventurous toy for him. And third, a little something we know you'll both enjoy. Plus, you'll get six full-length adult movies on DVD. And number 10, free shipping on your entire order. That's 10 free gifts for you shy types who've never tried Adam and Eve before. Just go to adamandeve.com and select any one item. It could be an adventurous new toy, a sexy piece of lingerie, or anything you desire. Just enter offer code BABE16 at checkout and you'll get all 10 free gifts, including free shipping. That's offer code BABE16. That's B-A-B-E-16 at adamandeve.com. Hey, this is Dave from House of Cards, and I just wanted to take a minute to tell you about Jersey Man Magazine. Whether you're born and bred in Jersey like me, or even from Jersey but live somewhere else, Jersey Man is the perfect magazine for you. Health issues, state business news, sports, food, you name it, Jersey Man talks about it in a fun and informative way. They even host their own networking events where you can meet and greet other community members and professionals. 
with contributors like Bill Lyons, Dan Hockman, and George Anastasia with his own Mob Scene column, Jersey Man covers our region like no one else. Check out their website, jerseymanmagazine.com, for more information and some really cool Jersey Man merchandise. Jersey Man's available at most major newsstands, and you can even subscribe online. That's jerseymanmagazine.com. Jersey Man Magazine. Hey, if you're from Jersey, it's the only magazine you'll ever need. Listening to the House of Cards. I'm raising the ante. Anybody wants in, get in. Anybody wants out, you get out. All right, I'll play. Join us online at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. Are we going to play poker? So the poker game has begun. Welcome back, everyone. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. Um, we think about our our listeners, the people that are out there that tune in this show. And uh, it occurred to me that most of them, I suspect, came to poker either because of or after something known as the moneymaker effect. Uh, the moneymaker effect, of course, was the effect that the one champion, the amateur champion whose name was Moneymaker when he won the World Series of Poker main event, had on the poker world. Well, we have a very talented author who wrote a wonderful book about that Moneymaker effect. In fact, it's called The Moneymaker Effect, the inside story of the tournament that forever changed poker. Eric Raskin is the author, and he's with us now to talk about compiling this book and the effect itself. So without any delay, Eric, are you there? I'm here. Thanks for having me on, Ashley. Oh, I'm very glad you're here because uh, this is something I've thought about. It's one of my favorite subjects, really, what contributed most to the huge boost that poker received back 2003, 2004. And I guess I want to ask you first, Eric, how is it that you began this project? And what is your own poker lineage? How did you get into this world? Sure. Well, uh, it, it's funny. The The project did not begin... Uh, intended to be a book. It was supposed to be uh, an, an online article first, and I, I can uh, so I can tie back to that. But to answer the question of just how I got involved in the poker world, um, I was uh, in the mid two thousands an editor at a boxing magazine called The Ring, uh, entering my late twenties, getting close to getting married, needing to find a job that uh, paid a little better, and uh, hunting for jobs. Found a poker magazine called All In that had just recently launched uh, that was looking for an editor. So I interviewed for and got that job. And that was really my introduction to the poker world. I was not a poker guy before prior to taking that job, but uh, that job wouldn't have existed without the moneymaker effect. This was in uh, early 2005. And uh, as you may remember, around mid-2004, suddenly a bunch of new poker magazines started springing up because uh, the the boom was in full force. So that was how I first got involved in poker. Um, Several years later, uh, I the, the website Grantland.com uh, launched in 2011, and they enlisted me to write an oral history uh, of, a bo- of a boxing match, the famous Sugar Ray Leonard, uh, Marvelous Marvin Hagler fight. Uh, yes. uh, I, w- I didn't even know what an oral history was before they gave me the assignment, uh, but I quickly found out it's an article of 
written purely with quotes, where you interview as many people as you can and string their quotes together to form the article. I wrote that. Uh, about a year later, I pitched them on the idea of let's do an oral history for the 10th anniversary of the 2003 World Series of Poker. If there's any poker tournament worthy of that kind of treatment, that is clearly the historic, essential tournament that, that from which everything else followed and that has enough storylines uh, to make it worthy of an oral history. So as I was working on the article, one of the interview subjects, a fellow by the name of Phil Helmuth, said to me, oh, this is much too big to, to limit it to an article. Uh, it'd be a shame you're going to use a, you know, a couple thousand words. I said, well, no, it's going to be more like ten or 15,000 words. It's a very long-form article. Uh, but still, uh, he said, this should be a book, not an article. So that got the gears turning in my head. I went ahead and filed the article, but all along I was thinking I'm going to expand this into a book if I have enough material, and, uh, and sure enough, I did. So the article ran on the 10th anniversary in 2013. The book came out a year later. I see. Well, I, I remember the article coming out, and I, when I saw the book, which my producers handed to me, I said, wait a second. I've read this, haven't I? And then only after reading through the book, and I realized, wait a second, no, I read, I read the article in 2013, uh, and I remember being impressed by it, the different people you got to. I, I have some questions. They're gossipy questions, and if you don't feel comfortable answering them, too bad. No, you don't have to. Uh, but you have a lot of celebrity poker players in here. You have Dan Harrington, Daniel Negreanu, you already mentioned uh, other people, Norman Chad, Greg Raymer, Annie Duke, uh, Howard Lederer. The book reads like they were all easygoing, happy to talk, and spend as much time as you want. Were they or were there any tough interviews where it was hard to get somebody to pin down or they didn't show up or they were evasive? Uh, tell me about the interview process. Sure. Uh, there were definitely a, a few that were tough to pin down. Once I got them, I don't think there were any that I would categorize as difficult interviews, guys who once I got them on the phone or in person uh, were not open and, and willing to, to talk about uh, the details of, of what went down in 03. Um, but there were definitely a few that were tough to track down. Phil Ivey, is notoriously difficult to get to do interviews. He's gotten a little better in the last year or two, um, but when I was writing the article for Grantland, uh, I asked um, uh, a couple of different people who I knew were friends with him, Barry Greenstein, Daniel Negreanu. When I got them on the phone, I asked, do you think there's any chance I could get Ivy? And uh, Negreanu had the, the, the best response. He said, ah, I think you're drawing pretty dead on that one. Um, so <laughs> you got I him. How did you get him? Ivy for the original article in between the publication of the article and the book, I was able to finally get uh, a few minutes with him and just fire off a few questions about uh, his famous hand against Moneymaker, uh, where Moneymaker hit the ace on the river, and what it was like for Ivy to come that close. Um, but uh, you know, probably the most interesting story in terms of getting the interviews uh, was Howard Letterer. Um, he had not done any interviews. This was in, I was doing, I did all the interviews between August and October of 2012. We're going to take a quick pause and then we'll be right back. Make your game night the envy of all your friends and family. 
play on a one-of-a-kind table. Play on a pro-caliber poker table. Pro-caliber tables are made with high-quality gaming suede and suited speed cloths. And with their Table Builder app, customers can create a table to accommodate any game. Select one of the in-stock designs from their site or imprint your own. And now you can get a free 600-count coin inlay chipset when you purchase a pro-caliber poker table. Here's how. Use offer code HOCRADIO when you check out at ProCaliberPoker.com or when ordering by phone at 240-25-POKER. That's 240-257-6537. Remember, to get your free gift when ordering your poker table, use offer code HOCRADIO. That's H-O-C-R-A-D-I-O. Order by phone at 240-257-6537 or online at ProCaliberPoker.com. ProCaliber Poker Tables. Stop playing around and get that table you've been looking for. Some houses are born bad. You're listening to the House of Cards. I never dreamed that any mere physical experience could be so stimulating. Hi, listeners. Welcome back. This is Ashley Adams, your host, and we're talking to Eric Raskin, the author of The Moneymaker Effect. I had one question before you continue with your Howard Letterer story. You were about to say it. When was the interview? Was it before or after his horrible fall from grace? It was after. It was after. But it was the, literally the first interview that he did after. Um, about a little over a year had passed since Black Friday. And I had his email address from, from pre-Black Black Friday. Um, and I just shot him a line and I said very clearly... I'm writing an oral history of the 2003 World Series of Poker. I am not going to ask you any questions about full tilt or anything that's that's going on w- with that. It'll strictly be for about the 03 World Series. And he emailed back very quickly and said, sure, happy to do it. So uh, I do believe that was the first interview that, that Howard did post-Black Friday. And uh, indeed, uh, we did not discuss full tilt at all. Okay. Was he... Did he seem to you like he was uh, very pleasant, relaxed, uh, that he was trying to uh, prove himself to be still worthy of attention in the poker world? Did you get any read on him other than just, it was like everybody else just talked about the incident itself? Yeah, I mean, the thing that I I would say more than anything is uh, I think he was kind of excited to be able to talk about poker again in any format. Uh, He is, you know, he's, he's basically public enemy number one to a lot of poker players, especially at that time. Nobody had gotten reimbursed yet. He'd been, you know, hadn't spoken a word. I think it was fun for him to go back and tell stories from uh, the, the the glory days of 02, 03, the early days of the World Series, uh, some of his older memories. He, he was a very pleasant interview, and he's, you know, a great speaker, a really smart guy. Uh, you can question his morals and his ethics and, uh, and all that all you want, but uh, I don't think you can question his intelligence. So he was a really fun interview, one of the most memorable ones. Uh, I was struck by the different takes that a number of the pros had on Chris Moneymaker as a poker player because it really ran the spectrum from some who were almost rudely dismissive of him. I think Dutch Boyd was one. I I don't remember exactly. And some who were either politely or sincerely, and I couldn't tell which, and maybe you can illuminate, uh, praiseworthy of him. And I'm wondering, you know, 
obviously people want to read this and see for themselves how they reach conclusions. But what is your takeaway of moneymakers standing today in the minds of these great poker players? I think moneymaker is viewed and views himself, uh, to be perfectly honest, as a good poker player, but nowhere close to a great poker player and a guy who, you know, did get lucky at a few of the right times while also playing out of his mind at a few of the right times, making some amazing plays. Um, you know, he he never claimed just because he was the world champ didn't make him the best in the world, and he understood that. Um, but he still makes a living at it. He's still, you know, at, at least a good uh, professional poker player, if not among the elite. And I think that's how he's viewed by most people. Uh, and, and most people would say he's a much better player now than he was then. I certainly hope so after, you know, 10, 10 or 12 more years of playing at the highest levels. But, yeah, I mean, Greg Raymer in particular had a lot of praise for Chris's game and thinks he's kind of underrated. But Greg is also a friend of his, uh, you know, through as poker stars, sponsors, sponsored players together. I think they've developed a relationship. There were, like you said, a couple of guys like uh, Dutch Boyd and also Sammy Farha who still seem bitter, who still seem uh, to hold a little bit of resentment that, yeah, I can't believe I lost to this guy. That, that, that still lingers with them. Um, but I think it's not so much that they don't like Chris or respect Chris or even respect his game now. It's that they feel back then he wasn't a very good player, and maybe they feel he, he made some, some bad plays that just happened to work out for him. Maybe there's a little jealousy that still lingers that uh, how could this guy have won when I've been devoting myself to this profession for years and I still haven't won it. I think yeah, exactly. Guys. Yeah, <laughs> I, think I agree. Anyone who hasn't won the World Series main event, and that's a long list of players because only one guy gets to win it every year, uh, has some jealousy towards those who have uh, managed to pull it off. Uh, you know, it's funny. As I was reading, another question occurred to me. I don't know if you've ever been asked this, but you had um, perhaps unique, at least in a small universe of people, have had as much contact as you have had with top-level poker players, not playing against them, but talking to them as individuals and getting to see how they respond to questions, how they think, how they uh, process information. And I'm wondering if you talk to a lot of people from all different walks of, well, all different parts of the poker universe. Are there anything that you can say about the commonality of top-level professional poker players? Are there any traits that seemed like they all speak quickly or they all seem very quick or they all take their time? Any common ingredients that you noticed among the top-level pros that you spoke to? I guess there's probably nothing that's unanimously true, but things that are frequently true, first of all, would just be intelligence. Uh, It it oozes out of of some of these guys that their minds are just brilliant and some of them are great communicators, like a, a Negreanu, uh, for example, you know, just such a, a gifted talker. But Einstein, that's not necessarily too. common to all of them. The one thing that almost all of them have in common and that really came out doing the interviews for this book is their recall. You know, these guys have played millions of poker hands, and yet you can talk about a specific hand that happened, you know, when I interviewed them, it was maybe nine years earlier 
a, a hand that you wouldn't think they would remember all the details on, but they're remembering, you know, what the turn card was, what suit it was in, what, how much, the amount that they bet on the river, weird little details that are just crazy to remember. And I get why Chris Moneymaker would remember it, because these are the few hands that he's been asked about over and over for years. But some of these other guys, for Helmuth to randomly call out some hand where he, uh, where Scotty Wynn bluffed him or something like that, that was not a big part of the story, uh, but he remembers that. That's something common to a lot of these poker pros is the ability to, to remember details you would think they shouldn't be able to hold on to. Yes. In fact, I remember just as a, when I was a boy, when I was 15 years old, I remember seeing uh, Bobby Fisher interviewed. And Bobby was a weird kind of guy. But I remember him saying that he remembers every single game of chess he played. And I remember thinking that's impossible. But it's the same thing, right, for a poker player to be able to pull out a hand from three years ago and remember how it was played and exactly what the flop was. I mean, I, I'm i a serious poker player. I'm not a top-level pro, to be sure, but I have a hard time after a session is over yep. remembering exactly, well, wait, was I was I in the fifth seat? Was I in the set? Was I on the button? I thought, well, no, 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 I was a big blind. That's right. I guess it helps to have videotape you can go back to when there are, you know, cameras showing you what you had. But a lot of these people were doing that without having viewed cameras, right? Right. Yeah. And I suppose it's possible that they're, uh, to use the poker term, bluffing a little bit, that when they don't remember a detail, they'll just make one up. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some of that going on. But in general, their recall is incredible. And I'm the same way as you at the end of a at the end of a long session, maybe there are a couple hands where I can kind of remember what happened, but even those, I'm usually not getting the exact betting amounts right or remembering what suits any of the cards were. We'll be right back. Make your game night the envy of all your friends and family. Play on a one-of-a-kind table. Play on a Pro-Caliber poker table. Pro-Caliber tables are made with the highest quality gaming suede on the market. And with their Table Builder app, customers can create a table to accommodate any game. Select one of the in-stock designs from their site or imprint your own. And now, you can get a free 600-count coin inlay chipset when you purchase a Pro-Caliber poker table. Here's how. Use offer code H-O-C-R-A-D-I-O, that's H-O-C-R-A-D-I-O, when you check out at ProCaliber.com or when ordering by phone at 24025-POKER, 24025-POKER, that's 240-257-6537. ProCaliber Poker Tables, stop playing around and get that table you've been looking for. Attention poker players! Do you like using your tablet or phone at the poker table, but hate running out of battery at the end of a long tournament day or cash game? Then you need the Grinder Gadget. The Grinder Gadget is a portable, compact charging station and stand designed by poker players for poker players. It gently grips the rail and allows you to prop up and charge your phone or tablet without touching the felt. The Grinder Gadget not only works well on a poker rail, but just about anywhere. An airplane tray, a desk, anywhere. No more setting up your tablet on some wobbly table or leaving it on the floor. 
Its battery is powerful enough to charge most tablets and phones and still have plenty of juice left over for your headphones or any other device you have. You can even purchase a backup battery for those extra long sessions or trips. So if you like to grind while you grind, the Grinder Gadget is exactly what you've been waiting for. Check out www.grindergadget.com for more information. Get grinding and stay grinding with the Grinder Gadget. Hey, this is Dave from House of Cards, and I just wanted to take a minute to tell you about Jersey Man Magazine. Whether you're born and bred in Jersey like me, or even from Jersey but live somewhere else, Jersey Man is the perfect magazine for you. Health issues, state business news, sports, food, you name it, Jersey Man talks about it in a fun and informative way. They even host their own networking events where you can meet and greet other community members and professionals. With contributors like Bill Lyon, Stan Hockman, and George Anastasia with his own mob scene column, Jersey Man covers our region like no one else. Check out their website, jerseymanmagazine.com, for more information and some really cool Jersey Man merchandise. Jersey Man's available at most major newsstands, and you can even subscribe online. That's jerseymanmagazine.com. Jersey Man Magazine. Hey, if you're from Jersey, it's the only magazine you'll ever need. Hey, this is Dave Weishaddle from House of Cards with your House of Cards gaming report for the week of May 4th, 2015. Penn National Gaming confirmed last week that it's buying the Tropicana on the Las Vegas Strip. Penn's president and CEO Timothy Wilmot said the development of the property will occur in two stages over the next three to five years. The first phase will include improvements to the property, and the second phase will include adding more shopping, restaurants, and hotel rooms. The total cost of the sale is $360 million. Elaine Wynn has lost her seat on the board of directors for Wynn Resorts. Last week, the shareholders rejected Elaine Wynn's bid to remain on the company's board. The problem stems from a 2012 lawsuit she filed against her ex-husband to break her 2010 separation agreement, allowing her to sell her shares in Wynn Resorts at will. Over the past year, the company's shares have fallen 40%. And finally, an awful story coming out of Iowa. 87-year-old Pauline McKee thought she was a millionaire. After playing for only a couple of minutes at a slot machine at the Isle Casino Hotel in Waterloo, the machine announced that she won $41.7 million. So what did the casino do? They refused to pay, saying it was a computer glitch. Now the awful part. The Iowa Supreme Court agreed with the casino and awarded Pauline $1.85. They should have at least comped her at the noodle bar. Have any news or tips regarding casinos, gaming, or legislation? Send us an email at newsroom at houseofcardsradio.com and follow us on Twitter at HOC Radio. Hey, this is Dave from House of Cards. The weather is getting nicer, so grab your tablet or your cell phone and bring nj.partypoker.com with you. Why would you want to go to Atlantic City or Pennsylvania, pay for gas, pay for parking, fight the crowds, when you can play the same games at home or wherever you are? If you're 21 and in New Jersey, go to nj.partypoker.com and sign up using the promo code HOC. Start playing and start winning some cash. It's that easy. Go to nj.partypoker.com and sign up today with promo code HOC. This, this is, is the House of Cards. This is your poker education. Let's play some cards.
Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. Listeners, we have been talking to Eric Raskin. He is the author of a terrific book that looks at the moneymaker effect called eponymously The Moneymaker Effect, the inside story of the tournament that forever changed poker. Now, do you play poker? I do, not uh, on a professional level and not nearly as often as I'd like. I have uh, two young kids, and I live in a state where I can no longer play online. I'm in Pennsylvania. Um, When it was legal to play online, I, eh, you know, casually on the side, 10 to 15 hours a week probably. Um, So that's obviously been uh, been cut out of my routine. So now it's just uh, the uh, rare occasions when I'm able to break free of work and family responsibilities and then head to a, a casino or a home game. Where, what part of the state do you live in, Eric? I'm talking uh, to Eric the, Raskin, who is the author of The Moneymaker Effect. I'm in the, the suburbs outside Philadelphia, pretty close to the Parks Casino. Oh, okay. That's about a 20-minute drive from my home. I see. I've played there. That's a nice big room. Uh, a lot yes, of good games. Yes, it is. Um, let's just focus a little on The Moneymaker Effect itself, because you have an entire chapter devoted to the impact that his name had on the poker boom. And I'm wondering, having spoken to all these people and thought about this, what, how much weight would you give the fact that it was Chris Moneymaker who won this event? And how much were the other factors involved in poker's quick ascension at that point in time? It's it's tricky to figure out the the balance because it's obviously the these three things in some measure were the amateur who named Chris Moneymaker winning this event, the invention of the whole card camera and ESPN deciding to televise the entire tournament for the first time that year, and the rise of online poker. It's it's those three factors, but how do you split the percentages there? I'm not sure. I tend to think that probably Moneymaker winning was the least significant of the three. It was still very important. I think, as people in the book said, the boom wouldn't have been as big or happened as fast if anyone else had won. But it still was going to happen, most people seem to think, with online poker growing in popularity and with ESPN televising this tournament. I mean, the ratings were good from the start before anybody knew Moneymaker had won and before, I mean, I shouldn't say before anybody knew, before most of the viewing public knew Moneymaker had won uh, and before Moneymaker was really being featured in the episodes, those first few. Uh, So I I think it's clear that uh, poker was gathering some steam in 2003 and was going to boom no matter what, but then to have this perfect outcome, not just an amateur named Chris Moneymaker, but an amateur named Chris Moneymaker who won an online satellite uh, to get, for $39 to get into the tournament and win $2.5 million. It's the perfect story for both the online side of the industry, for TV, for live poker, for everything. Um, so it was very important, but I, 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 do, I would say that the invention of the whole card camera or the rise of online poker was both of those are probably a little bit more essential than who actually won the event. What's interesting to me about the factors that you mentioned is that, first of all, I think one additional factor has been left out of the equation as I was reading through all the players opining. Nobody talked about the spread of legal gaming 
across the United States that preceded the poker boom, but provided an infrastructure, at least in some ways, for people to get a taste of playing poker live, not just online. And I and I realize that it was the online uh, poker that really exploded the number of players, but then there were also many more brick-and-mortar places with Indian gaming and riverboat gaming that didn't exist prior to, oh, 98, 99, 2000. You could really only play poker in uh, California, Nevada, and then in the mid-'90s, a couple of riverboats, and and, uh, then in Connecticut, and then Atlantic City opened up. But by 2003, you had about 20, 25 states that had legal poker. Yeah, that's a great point, Ashley. And, yeah, you're absolutely right that, I mean, Moneymaker himself talks about uh, that how he started playing. He had a, they, there was a home game where they started mixing in some Hold'em, but uh, in addition to that, he, there was a casino in Tunica, Mississippi that he would go to on occasion and, and played a little bit there. So, uh, And I guess the other thing that is mentioned in the book that but we haven't talked about yet is the movie Rounders. Uh, came out right. in 98, really became popular once it was out on, on DVD and video around 2000 or so, uh, that that also got the wheels in motion. So I think you're, you're right that the, the rise of uh, casinos all across the company, all, all across the country offering poker, uh, as well as the movie Rounders, those are a couple of the pre-boom factors that kind of grease the skids, uh, so to speak. Now, now, this also struck me. The second thing was how many players admitted honestly that they absolutely did not see what was going to happen. Like There were a number of the guys talking about how they thought that whole cards shouldn't be seen, and they were opposed to uh, having – it would change the way people played. It would disclose their strategy in a way that would hurt them. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about some of the guys that you interviewed – uh, opinions about the whole card camera and what they thought it would mean and what it ended up meaning. Yeah, I mean it's it's a, a revolutionary change for for better and for worse for a lot of these guys to uh, who'd been playing for for many years to suddenly be showing the world their whole cams. It's it's only natural to be a little uncomfortable with that until you until it becomes a common thing and then everyone adjusts to it. But particularly Eric Seidel of the people that I interviewed, um, he everyone else was was dropping his name to me as I interviewed them. Everyone was mentioning, oh, yeah, Eric Seidel refused to show his whole cards. He said if we wanted to put him at the featured table, he would just cover up his cards so we didn't even put him at the featured table. Uh, but, you know, Eric explained to me that it was mostly, it wasn't that he was opposed to the idea and it wasn't that he didn't realize it was good for the game. It was that he felt really uncomfortable playing that way, that having the whole world sweating him and knowing what he was doing took him a while. And not just the 03 main event, but he said it took a couple of years of playing on TV before he really relaxed and was able to start playing his game. Um, but there were also some pros who who were legitimately opposed to the idea of educating all the amateurs to that extent, letting them see how we do it. It might be giving too much away. It's like, you know, when Doyle wrote Super System, uh, and uh, it led so many people to get so much better at poker that he then had to adjust his game, as did uh, all the other pros. So there was some of that going on here. But, of course, the guy who was most in favor of it and really saw the potential for how it could 
make changes for the positive was Helmuth, who is another one that, you know, love him or hate him, he thinks big, he understands the big picture, he is something of a visionary, and he uh, apparently, I hadn't learned this until, until I was interviewing these people, but that he was critical to the Nevada Gaming Commission letting them go ahead and use the whole cams at the last minute the whole thing had, had almost fallen apart, that the ESPN was going to have to drop it and do it without whole cams and maybe not do it at all, and, and Helmuth went to bat and, and made sure that uh, they went ahead and, and, and uh, got it approved. Well, I tell you, I am intrigued by the fact that this boom was taking place, and even now that it's over, there have been no efforts that I've seen, no successful efforts by the top pros to really be paid for their celebrity. I mean, their celebrity was kind of thrust upon them with the incredible exposure that poker got, but they are the only people I can think of on television uh, that aren't compensated. They're still putting up their own money. Now, maybe they have sponsors that right. uh, buy them into tournaments, but certainly the people that are getting the money from the event itself, uh, Caesars or ESPN or you know the corporations that are advertising, they're not uh, putting more money. They don't have a prize pool that's increased by you know $20 million dollars uh, to compensate the players, unlike the PGA or the bowling tour or NASCAR. How is that? Did they ever talk to you at all about trying to get prize money supplied by the advertisers or by ESPN, or did that never come up? Uh, it, it has a bit. I mean, I guess the, in, out of the interviews I did for this book, the only place it came up was Seidel again, uh, noting that that was another reason that he wasn't crazy about the whole card cams is that they weren't being compensated to, to be shown on television right. and that he, he wasn't sure how he felt about that. Um, you may remember, I guess it was in 2005, that uh, a group of players banded together uh, and boycotted the World Poker Tour. Yes, um, because Raymer yeah, was felt... part of that. Wasn't Greg Raymer part of that, if yes. I recall? Yes, Raymer. Um, I feel like Let Howard Letterer might have been part of it as well. Um, but, yeah, there it was the WPT was using their likenesses in some of their marketing materials and they weren't getting anything for it. And, you know, the World Series and the WPT make you sign uh, sign a, a contract when you go to play in one of their tournaments that you can be shown on TV. Um, but I guess when they, when they started seeing themselves in marketing materials, they felt it had gone too far. Um, but, yeah, they've never been compensated. There have, I guess, occasionally been some... Uh, value-added or free-roll type made-for-TV tournaments. When the NBC did the uh, the heads-up heads tournament up, yep. for years, they always added uh, some to the prize pool. I, th- I think there were maybe six hundred, six hundred or $700,000 of, act- of paid-for prize money, and yet the prize pool was around a million. So uh, you would have some instances like that. But for the most part, you're absolutely right. These guys are risking their own money and getting nothing in return if, uh, except the chance to win money uh, through the tournament. Uh, and the sponsorship deals obviously did help them to uh, get through the, the swings, the variance of, of the tour, you know, when Poker Stars and Full Tilt and all these other sites were out there going strong. It's a lot tougher now. Not too many pros left with sponsorship deals. That's true. I know Greg doesn't have his anymore and is on right. his own nickel, and it's tough. 
Uh, I want to spend the last two minutes of this interview. We have a couple of minutes to go. I want to ask you about All In Magazine. You're the editor-in-chief. Tell us about All In. Not all people get go to casinos regularly enough to see the magazines. What's it like running a magazine on poker when the market is down? Uh, what kind of stuff do you feature, and what do you see yourself doing in the future with it? Well, it's still, even if you're right that poker is not booming like uh, like it was, it's still a really fun job to be able to uh, write about and, and, and edit stories on, on poker all day. Uh, you know, that, that, that beats most nine-to-fives. Um, we're available in, in a lot of the casino card rooms also. You can uh, subscribe, uh, and uh, everything is available on the website as well, allinmag.com. Um, we, we have... We are diversifying a bit because the sort of second poker boom that we all thought was coming uh, did not uh, quite take off the way that we expected it to when uh, poker started getting online poker started getting legalized state by state. Um, you know, poker is still holding steady, but we've diversified into uh, covering fantasy sports and video gaming as well a little bit. Poker is still the backbone of what we do, but as you probably know, the, the daily fantasy sports uh, sites have kind of become the new online poker, and there's a lot of overlap in the audience. So we're covering those as well, both on the website and in the magazine. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a really fun job, and uh, certainly we're all sitting back hoping that po- online poker gets legalized in more states and this second boom uh, that we thought was coming uh, in 2013 uh, will indeed come in a much more gradual manner than than it did in 2003. Let's hope it comes. And uh, is your magazine monthly or is it twice monthly? It is. It's a monthly magazine. Yes. Listeners, we have been talking to Eric Raskin, who wears two hats. He is the author of a terrific book that looks at the moneymaker effect called eponymously The Moneymaker Effect, the inside story of the tournament that forever changed poker. And he's also the editor-in-chief of poker magazine that's called All In Magazine, which I've read many times at Foxwoods and Mohegan and around the country. So thank you, Eric, for uh, joining us. My pleasure, Ashley. Great talking to you. I look forward to talking to you again. Absolutely. Okay. Listeners, we'll be right back after a quick timeout. Hey, this is Dave from House of Cards, and I just wanted to take a minute to tell you about Jersey Man Magazine. Whether you're born and bred in Jersey like me, or even from Jersey but live somewhere else, Jersey Man is the perfect magazine for you. Health issues, state business news, sports, food, you name it, Jersey Man talks about it in a fun and informative way. They even host their own networking events where you can meet and greet other community members and professionals. With contributors like Bill Lyon, Stan Hockman, and George Anastasia with his own mob scene column, Jersey Man covers our region like no one else. Check out their website, jerseymanmagazine.com, for more information and some really cool Jersey Man merchandise. Jersey Man's available at most major newsstands, and you can even subscribe online. That's jerseymanmagazine.com. Jersey Man Magazine. Hey, if you're from Jersey, it's the only magazine you'll ever need.
Here's the wonderful Joan Rivers with her thoughts on poker players. And your people, you give money with blood on it. I met your people in Vegas for 40 years. None of them have last names. None of them. They have cash fulls of You're a poker player. A poker player. That's, That's awesome. beyond white trash. Poker players oh, are the most players. awesome people poker in the world. Poker players are trash, darling. Trash. House of Cards, proudly serving your white trash needs since 2007. Welcome back, listeners. You're listening to House of Cards. You know, I just, uh, on the way in here, Dave, I was listening on the comedy channel uh, on my car radio, satellite radio. They had a roast of Joan Rivers. Oh, boy. And, uh, God, it, Gilbert Godfrey was just <laughs> so unbelievably uh, blue. Uh, his uh, humor was so much in the gutter, and so was she. I mean, even Carl oh, Reiner said, uh, he said, <laughs> I can't believe it. I can say whatever I want. I've been on the air for all these years, and I haven't been able to say anything. And then he's, <laughs> he just blurted out every obscenity you've ever heard. So anyway, but welcome to House of Cards. But we I have- miss Joan Rivers, though. She was, she was amazing. She's, she was She old. was old school. Yes. So what do we have this week? Well, we got a couple questions, and I just want to remind everyone, if you have a question for us, you can send us an email at info at houseofcardsradio.com. You can shoot us a tweet at HOC Radio. Or if you have a message or a text, you can call us at our hotline at 609-474-HOCR. What's that again, Dave? That would be 609-474-4627. Okay, well, get those calls and letters in, everybody. And uh, this has become a very hot issue, and uh, I know it's near and dear to your heart. Rick from Albuquerque, New Mexico, who listens to us on KIVA, The Rock of Talk. Resort fees have become a huge issue in the news. I usually book my hotel reservations online. What do I need to look for to make sure I'm not getting charged crazy hidden fees? In your travels, who has the most expensive resort fees? Any horror stories? Yeah. And I guess uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. we got a bunch of questions. Uh, I guess this sprouted from the news last week. They, a class action lawsuit was filed in California against the Venetian and Palazzo Hotels. Alleging, Why was it in California? Why wouldn't it be in Nevada? Well, I, I guess it was, uh, well, it makes sense. It was travelers, I guess, who were booking in a whole group oh, of right. people well. from California. And apparently they booked their uh, stay there and in the confirmation letter that was sent to them, they said, we have your confirmation. Welcome. Oh, and by the way, you have to pay us $29 per day resort fees. Right. I, I hate resort fees. There's a very simple way to not pay them, and that's to only stay at places without resort fees. And it's true, 95% of the of the casino hotels in Las Vegas have resort fees. Uh, they range from I think five ninety five. I think the Gold Coast is one of the last to get them, uh, and up to almost thirty bucks at you know I think Wynn, Bellagio. You yeah. can check you can check the resort fees at any of the consolidator sites. You go on um, well, I, Travelocity. I know, I know the, or, um, 
the Venetian and the Palazzo were twenty nine dollars. Yeah, like, right. So and, it's uh, but the thing to and, do. And they're from the Sands Corporation. That's who owns them. So do I what I do. Okay, I stay at the properties that don't have resort fees. Now it's true you give up some luxuries, but <laughs> I stay at Arizona Charlie's. Okay, which That's is it. part of a small chain of uh, casinos in Las Vegas. Uh, they have two properties. Arizona Charlie's says one's on Decatur, okay. near Charleston. And the other is down near Henderson on Boulder Highway. They're not luxurious, but I pay twenty twenty five bucks a night when I go to Las Vegas. I true, I have to rent a car because mm-hmm. they're not on the strip. <laughs> but by golly, they don't charge resort fees. And I've written a letter to the owner and gotten a letter back saying I will stay at your places as long as you don't charge them. They're like the last holdouts. The station casinos, which are budget. Casinos, they charge resort fees. El Cortez just adopted it. You, you know, you told me that last week. Yeah. And even before this question <laughs> came over, you said you, you you were staying at the – was it the station? I was staying at Arizona or? Charlie's. Well, you were, you were saying that – I checked that, out the other ones. Oh, so. you checked out. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I remember I stayed at the Bellagio, and they tried to charge me a 20-something dollar resort. And I just said – I. Didn't have it when it was booked. This was back mm-hmm. when they didn't always list them explicitly, yeah. and I refused to play it. Oh, it was at Palace Station. Palace Station. I knew it was one of the stations. They short-sheeted me, too. Really? Oh. I refused to pay the resort fee. I made a fuss, and uh, they eventually waived it, but they said, now you know, and if you come back here, and we'll have you'll have to pay it. So, of course, I've never gone back. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's outrageous. I so go on who, and on. Who has the highest... This guy wants to know who has the highest. I don't know off the top of my head, but you can find out. I think it's probably the Wynn or the uh, Venetian or the uh, Caesars. I'm not certain. Mm -hmm. I I don't want to just guess because you can look it up. Go to Travelocity.com. Go to Travago.com. Go to uh, I4Vegas.com, and they'll show you all the resort fees. So did you make your plans yet for uh, Las Vegas? I haven't yet. I mean, I normally would do it by now, but I'm. With the J- Japan trip that we had for mm-hmm. three weeks, with my daughter's wedding coming up in August, yep. I'm going to Kansas uh, and playing in Nebraska to knock off one of the states I haven't played in. So with all that travel, I've been reluctant to pull the trigger on a Las Vegas trip. I'm thinking of playing in the Colossus, though, which is uh, the last weekend in May, but I haven't pulled the trigger. I think it's relatively cheap, too. $500 for a chance at a $5 million guaranteed prize pool. Hey, that's... Uh... Hey, not for too you, it shabby. should be nothing. I mean, he should be winning that. Not too shabby. Closed. Anyway, that does it for House of Cards and our mailbag segment. Listeners, until next week, please, good luck and good day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.